Good evening, everybody. I'm Jim Holden. I'm an alcoholic. How y'all doing? Good. I uh, want to thank Genevieve for asking me to come out and do this. Uh, John, for giving 10 minutes. Uh, I'll tell you a little John story real quick. Let me get some preliminaries out of the way. I, uh, I got given a moment of grace on the morning of January 2nd. It was a Monday morning. And the year was 1989. And uh, I didn't know about grace. I didn't know what it was or whatever, but there was a moment of grace. And, and uh, this little window opened up and I walked through it. And um, I stand before you today still in that animated state of grace. Uh, grace is an unmerited gift, right? It's not, I didn't do anything. You know, I, I've been sober long enough that I hear a lot of stuff in there. Because I also, because I've been sober long enough, I got a lot of opinions. But <laughs> I, uh, I hear a lot of stuff in AA, and I'll tell you, I, uh, I'm really glad that I, I met people when I was new. So most importantly, I want to welcome our three new friends that had the courage to identify as new. It takes a lot of courage. I know defeat doesn't sound like courage. I know that, that uh, surrendered, uh, and, and we'll talk about that too. I think surrendered is not a lot of courage. My ego and pride won't let me ask for help. So the fact that you were able to stand up and identify as new, uh, I want to welcome you. Uh, my hope and my prayer is you'll hear something tonight to either get you to the pillow sober or get you to another meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous to go to about, you know, be inquisitive about what that is. I hope you can stick around long enough to have a serious conversation with yourself about your relationship with alcohol. That's it. You know, I think that the, I go to a lot of meetings. I've been, like I said, I've been sober a long time and I go to a lot of meetings and I hear a lot of stuff. And one thing that I remember when I was new is I'd come to a speaker meeting in Alcoholics Anonymous and the speaker would stand up there and he's got a suit on and, you know, my, I'm sitting in the back row like this going, who's this it? You know, who's this guy? What's he going to try and sell me? Right? What's he going to try and convince you? And I'll tell you a couple of things. I ain't here to convince you of nothing. I ain't here to try and sell you nothing. I'm not here to call you an alcoholic. That's the other thing that I want to make very, very clear. Just because you come to Alcoholics Anonymous, my experience has shown me that doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. Hey, this is one of the first meetings I've been to in a long time that reads, they stopped in time. Right? They stopped in time, talks about people who came and had and under, you know, this perception of what an alcoholic was. When I came to you and landed in a, in a hospital, by the way, I didn't land, it was a psychiatric hospital. I didn't know it at the time when I checked myself in. Um, <laughs> they, had the, they had the wing, they had the ADA wing, right? They called the alcohol and drug wing, right? And then they had the, the psych wing, you know what I mean? And if you acted out over here, you went over to this room over here and they put you in a room and, and there was no doorknob on the inside, you know? Um, and uh, that wasn't fun. I didn't like that. But I, um, what I like to tell you is that uh, that window of grace had opened on that morning. And here's how grace appeared in my life. They said, do you want some help? I don't ask for help. My ego and my pride will not allow me to ask for help. Because where I come from, if I ask for help, I owe you one. If I ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. And I can't be weak, right? I also come from the era, I'm 63 years old, so I grew up in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. And, and, uh, and back then, it was, you're a man. You got yourself into this mess, get yourself out of this mess. Man up. 
right? And uh, and then and then you don't ask for help and men don't cry, right? Those were my tools for living before I came to you. And so when they said, do you want help? You know what my answer is? No, no, it's okay. No. I had hair down to the middle of my back. I had a baseball cap on backwards. I was a tough guy. You know what I mean? And I'd sit around and go, what? What are you looking at? What do you want? You got a problem? I was arrogant. You know what I mean? And what, what, uh, what came out of my mouth was, uh, yes. I don't say yes. I believe today that that was grace because I don't do that. I am very clear and have a thorough understanding of who I am and how I live my life and all that other stuff. But they asked that moment, do I want some help? And out of my mouth came, yes. And then they took my stuff. You know your stuff, right? The, the hefty bag or the suitcase, you know what I mean? And they take my stuff and they open it up and they start going through it. I said, what the hell are you doing? And they said, we're going through your personal belongings. And I said, why? That's my stuff. I have no right to go through my stuff. And they said, you came here asking us for help. We want to make sure you're not bringing anything in here that could jeopardize anybody else in here that's trying to get some help. And, uh, and they put me down in room number two and they shut the door and I went to sleep. And it was a Monday morning, January 2nd of 1989. And I, uh, all I remember about that is I slept for three days. And on the third day, they came knocking on my door at 6.15 in the morning. Now, that's a little early when you're three days away of a six-day run. And we'll talk about the run, but the run started on Christmas Eve of 1988 and ended up January 2nd, 1989. And I got three days of sleep, man. And you're, you're waking my ass up. Yeah. <laughs> right? And they said, it's 6.15 in the morning. Get up. We're going for a walk. And I'm like, you what? They called it movement therapy. And... Uh, <laughs> And they said, get up, we're bless you. They said, get up, we're going for a walk. And I said, you obviously don't know who I am because I don't get up at 6.15 in the morning and I don't get up and go for a walk at 6.15 in the morning. And in their arrogance, they looked at me and they said, fine, pack your shit. And I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, pack your stuff. Get out of here, right? And this was a hospital. And I'm like, wait, 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 time out. You know, and then my arrogance pops in. And what I say to them is, you know how much money my insurance company is paying you for me to be here, right? That's not the words that came out. What came out was, do you know how much money I'm paying you for me to be here? I wasn't paying them shit, excuse me. I wasn't paying them anything. My insurance company was allowing me to be there. It was a hospital, it wasn't a treatment center. And uh, they said, yeah, Jim, we, you know, let's be clear about something. Three days ago, you came here asking us for help. And now you want to dictate to us how we're going to help you. We've seen hundreds of you come through here, pack your stuff and get out of here or put your shoes on and go for a walk. And I sat on the end of the bed and I had my shoes there. And I'll tell you, I wish it was an easy decision. You know what I mean? The second moment of grace occurred for me. And that moment of grace was, if you leave here, Jim, you're going to be loaded in 10 minutes and you don't want to be loaded anymore. Put your damn shoes on. And I got up and we went for a walk. The next day at 6.15 in the morning, they got up and said, let's go for a walk. And I'm like, ah. 
And I went for a walk. The third day they came in at 6.15 and said, let's go for a walk. And I said, sure, let's go for a walk, man. We're going for a walk. I don't know what we're doing, but this is the stupidest shit I ever heard of. We're going for a walk. And, and in the hospital I was in, from Torrance, California, where I grew up, where I, where I drank and got loaded at. And, and they'd walk us around kind of like this. They'd walk us around an industrial complex like this. You know what I mean? And, and they take the same walk every day. It's not like they take us and see us some new stuff. And, and on the third day, we've taken this walk two days now, and on the third day, we're taking this walk, and in the middle of the complex, there was a creek running through it, you know what I mean? And, uh, and there was a little area where the water would fall over the rocks, and there was a little bench to sit there, and I've been there three days, never seen that. So on day three, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I decide to have a sit, and I'm sitting down there, and I'm going, okay, and I'm listening to the water. I don't know the last time I heard water. I don't know the last time I heard a waterfall and I got excited. You know what I mean? So the next day, day four, man, they got some new guy, man. He's day, day three. He'd been sleeping for three days. You know what I mean? It's day for him to get up. I go running into his room. I said, get up and go for a walk. He said, I ain't walking nowhere. I said, I know, I know, I know. But come with me. I want to show you something. I mean, and for the next 26 days at 6.15 in the morning, I couldn't wait to get over to that area where I could have a little peace of quiet. What does that have to do about alcoholism? Everything. There's everything. Um, our responsibility in AA, at least what the book tells me to do, is to share with you in a general way what I used to be like, what happened, what I'm like now. What it also says in my own words, I need to describe to you how I developed a relationship with a power greater than myself. And um, I need to understand it. The one thing that I, I needed to know, and I hope for our new people, and especially our chip takers, I hope, you, I hope you get a thorough understanding of what alcoholism is. See, because part of what I suffer from is delusion. I am very delusional, right? A delusion means his ability to deny even when confronted by fact. I have been confronted by facts all my life and denied them all, right? The second thing about when I stand up in AA and I introduce myself as an alcoholic, I didn't understand what that meant. I just said, I'm an alcoholic. I got a drinking problem. In my experience, that's false. I don't have a drinking problem. I have a drinking solution to a living problem. That's what I suffer from. See, Dr. Silkworth in our literature says that we are restless, irritable, and men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced. I love the effect. John talked about the, oh, I love the effect. I mean, I'm the kind of alcoholic that I get a sense of ease and comfort driving to the liquor store. I haven't even drank yet, right? Or if I know the dope man's coming, right? Ah, it's going to be okay shortly. That's where I get a sense of ease and comfort, right? But it says that, that we drink because we like the effect, but we are generally restless, irritable, and discontent. What does that mean? Well, I'm restless. I can't sit still. I can't be in one place at one time. I got other stuff going on. I got to go. You too, huh? Yeah, I said, look at her. She's like, yeah, me too. I got to go. I got to go. What time's the meeting over? 730. It's 830. This guy's got 27 more minutes. What I got to do now? I got to go home and cook. I got to eat. I get ready for work tomorrow. I got something coming up on Tuesday. What am I doing next Friday? You know what I mean? I can't do right now, right? Because I'm restless, right? 
part of the reason I'm restless, I, I'll tell you the kind of drinker I am restless, man. My roommate totaled my Volkswagen one time and we got to rent a car and we decided it was Friday night. I live in Torrance, right? Well, if you know the South Bay area, and this is the 80s, right? In the South Bay area, there's a lot of things jumping off, man. There's the marina area down in Long Beach, right? They got a couple clubs in Redondo. You can go to West LA, the Roxy, the Troubadour, right? You got all the Hollywood clubs that are still going off and anything else, right? I am so restless, man, that I get a pack of product. And when I say by product, you know, uh, I, I don't call outside issues outside issues because I know the traditions. Outside issues, they're talking about medicine, politics, and religion, right? Our co-founder used alcohol with high-powered sedatives. What do you think they were talking about? Yeah, drugs, right? Um, I love to mix my alcohol with cocaine and crack, but um, that's just my personal choice. I, um, but I tell you, that night, man, we got this rent-a-car, and we decided we're going to go clubbing because I'm a club drinker. I'm like John. I like to be out amongst the people. Right. And we start in Long Beach and we're not a drink and a half in in Long Beach. And I'm thinking, you know what? The Roxy's got to be going off better than this place. So we drive up to the Roxy and we're in the Roxy. We're not even a half a drink in and we're looking around and it's going off. And it's like, no, nah, this ain't good. We got to go to the Troubadour. And then we got to go to BJ Mayor, B, uh, CJ Barrymore's uh, down in El Segundo now. And then, no, let's leave El Segundo and let's go to the Red Onion down in Redondo Beach. And maybe by now, let's get back to Long Beach and it's going okay. And one night I drove 478 miles in a rent-a-car and I missed the party because I kept leaving the party because it's always going to be better somewhere else, right? It's going to be different somewhere else. Right? And it wasn't just my drinking. My life has been that way because I'm restless. Dr. Silkworth talks about the second thing that, that, that you know, men and women do it, alcoholics, right? Restless, irritable, right? That's pretty easy. I'm just pissed off. Nothing's going to make me happy. My parents lied to me about my identity for 17 years. And they, you know, my dad wasn't my dad. My mom wasn't my mom. My aunt was my mom. My mom was my aunt. My dad was my uncle. My brother was my cousin. My cousin was my half sister. And you've lied to me my whole life. I'm a little irritable. I've been working here for 17 months and you haven't promoted me yet. I'm a little irritable. Right? You're not giving me sex in the time frame or the manner which I desired. I get a little bit irritable. Right? I don't have as much money. I'm comparing what I got in my wallet to what it looks like you got on the outside. I'm a little irritable. That's how I've been. Discontent. That's the third equation. Restless, irritable, and discontent. You know what discontent means? I ain't happy. I'm really content if you give me precisely what I want in the time frame I desire it, in the manner which I want it right now. I'm happy. If that's not happening, I'm a little discontent. And what I need to deal with those three things is a sense of ease and comfort. So you don't give me what I want when I'm discontent? Jack Daniels will. You don't give me what I want when I'm a little irritable, right? Bottle of tequila will, right? 
I'm a little restless. I can't sit down. I can't sit still. I can't be right here. I can't be right now. I'll tell you one thing, man. You get a bottle of rum and a bag of cocaine and you won't be restless no more. You will be just fine. Restless, irritable, and discontinued because I like the effect. But if you're new, it says something else right after that to screw up my drinking. They saw, although they know it to be injurious, there comes a time and place where they can't differentiate the truth from the false. And that's what happened to me. I got to the place where I couldn't differentiate the fact that it was Tuesday and I'm just going to go have one. And I'd go out on Tuesday and I'd have one or two. Right? But I ain't hurting nobody. And then I'd go out drinking on Friday and I'd come home on Tuesday. But I'm not hurting nobody. See, I have two sides of my brain that I deal with. And there's a right side of my brain that says I'm a victim. See, if your parents did what they, my, my parents did to me, you'd drink too. My first wife left me and married my best friend. That's good for a couple of cocktails. <laughs> right? So I don't trust women. Right? Okay. My second daughter was taken out of my home and I was told I was incapable of being a father. Right? You'd drink too. My boss told me that if I missed another Monday, that he was going to fire me for habitual absenteeism. I need a drink. I'm not getting what I want. I need a drink. See, alcohol has been my solution. I've had my first drink when I had my first drink. Everybody tell us about their first drink. I don't remember my first drink. I think most members of Alcoholics Anonymous will stand up and tell you about their first drink. They're lying. Right? <laughs> I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I remember my first drink, right? I'm 63 and I started really drinking at 14, but I know precisely what I had when I had it on the pool. Oh, sorry. Opinion, sorry. Here's what I remember. I remember that my dad was a mechanic and my mom was a waitress and they'd have parties all the time, right? Now I used to, when I first started speaking in AA, I'd tell my, we'd, we'd have cocktail parties at our house all the time. My mom was a waitress. My dad was a mechanic. Cocktail parties were screwdrivers and coolers. That was our cocktail parties, right? And I would go around and I'd help clean up. And then 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, whatever, I'd help clean up, man. And I'm watching these, these adults and I'd see how they're acting when they have a couple of drinks. And I'm thinking, that looks like fun. And I'd throw back some. And some days I'd feel some, some days I'd not. The story I talk about is the story of the night that I remember the effect that produced, the effect that it produced. I was 14 years old. I had an Afro out to here, right? It's 1973. I had acne all over my face. I knew I was never going to get laid in my entire life. And I got kicked off the football team because I don't like to practice, right? I was a pretty good football player, but I don't like going to practice. And they didn't let me play. And a friend of mine on a Friday night said the high school's having their game. You want to go to the game? And I'm like, hell no, I don't want to go to the game. He said, well, we're just going to go pick up some chicks and, and hang out. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, we can do that. Let's go do that. And, and uh, we went to aviation high school. That's where I went to school. And they uh, pulled out a bottle of Southern Comfort. And they screwed off the tap. And they took a swig. And the next guy took a swig. And he handed to me. And I took a swig. And that burnt all the way down. And it started to burn all the way up. I choked it back down. 
they passed that bottle around and came back to me and there was about half of it left and I just went, boop, 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 right? And I was able to hold it down. Then they pulled out a bottle of slow gin and we drank the slow gin, slow gin fizzes they used to call them, right? To, to you new young people, you don't know what it is. It's, it's like, have you ever heard of Mad Dog 2020? You probably never drank that either, but slow gin was this red, thick, syrupy, nasty ass liqueur that they used to mix with 7-Up, man, and it called it a slow gin fizz. And they'd mix it up with 7-Up and it'd make this really pink, pretty head, you know, really manly drink. And uh, <laughs> we were sitting there drinking these slow gin fizzes and, and, uh, and then they pulled out a joint, man, and we smoked this joint. And the effect that happened to me was instant and immediate. Man, my hair straightened out. I became Fabio. The acne went away. I'm stepping out. I had this, you know, these fears John talked about of approaching you. Because look at me. I'm wearing used jeans from the Salvation Army. You know, some old Archie T-shirt or some shit. You know what I mean? I don't really got it going on. And, uh, but you, that, that night, when we drank that slow gin in Southern Comfort, boy, my world changed. And I loved everything about it till I passed out and came to the next morning underneath the bleachers. But I couldn't remember, I couldn't wait to do it again and again and again. Although they know it's injurious, you can't differentiate the truth from the false. And I have to get to the place where I can understand and take a look at my relationship with alcohol I drank for 15 more years and those stories that I told you a little earlier all happened I got married I had a kid my daughter my daughter they were they left because I wasn't coming home I had really good intentions I would leave on a Friday and I'd come home on a Monday and I didn't know this you know you want to hear some you know there's always guilt and shame and remorse that comes with with uh once we get sober Right. I was uh, 13 years, 12, 13 years sober, and I was sitting with my mom, and she was dying. And, uh, and she told me that she was, she said, you still going to them AA classes? <laughs> yes, mom, still going to them AA classes. She goes, what? I just want you to know I love you and I'm proud of you because you're still going there because there were some times we didn't know which way it was going to go. And, and she started telling me about a story about on Christmas and New Year's and Valentine's Day and where I would get, get paid and I would leave on a Friday with my firm intention to go home and read my daughter a story and tuck her in and do all that stuff. And I'd take off and my wife would have to call her to bring over diapers and formula. And I think I'm a good dad. And she said, I'm really glad to see that you turn your life around, that you can be a father to your daughter. Those are the kind of things that denial, I can't see the truth. See, because it's your fault. Second thing that I know about talking with new people in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you're new especially, and I challenge you to again, to look at your relationship with alcohol. If you admit you're an alcoholic, when I was new in AA and I stood up and I said, I was an alcoholic, this guy came up to me and said, do you even know what that is? And I said, yeah, I drink too much. <laughs> and once I drink, I can't stop drinking. And I'd been sober and I'd been in the hospital. I'd been out a little while. And I said, you know, look, it's a chronic, 
it's 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 a mental obsession coupled with a spiritual malady, right? And this physical allergy. And I'm quoting what I'm thinking alcoholism is. And he said, no, bro. No. It is a chronic progressive fatal illness. He said, let me put it in simple terms for you, Jim. If you got alcoholism, that shit ain't never going away. Chronic, progressive, fatal. Chronic meaning reoccurring. It's been going on for a while and it continues to reoccur. Progressive, generally when it reoccurs, it gets a little worse. Fatal. It ain't going away. And the only thing that you need to understand, Jim, is that if you under if you say and you stand up and you start working our steps, those are traditions, you start working our steps over here, and it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives become unmanageable. The only thing you need to know, Jim, if you be an alcoholic, know this, you will drink again. And I'm like, well, that's not a lot of hope. <laughs> I'm in AA and I got, a, I got a guy telling me in AA that, you know what? You're going to drink again. My ego and pride and arrogance. No, I'm not. I'm in AA. Great. Good luck with that. Right? He said, if you don't understand what you suffer from, you're, you're doomed to repeat it over and over and over again. He said, the second part of that conversation, Jim, is once you understand what alcoholism is, you're still going to drink again because knowledge and knowing what it is don't mean crap. And I'm like, man, I need to go to some different meetings. <laughs> I need to be coddled. I need somebody to hug me. I need to be a little gentle with me. You know what I mean? Come on, man. I need some hope. And he says to me stuff like, you know, I care more about your soul than your feelings. He said, you've been thinking about your damn self your whole life. Why don't you think about someone else instead of how you feel? Damn. Hmm. So my resume before I came to you I was 29 years old. I was six foot two. I was 142 pounds. I was yellow and I was dying of alcoholism. And I thought I had it going on. I thought it wasn't that bad. I'd had a daughter taken out of my house. I'd signed adoption papers for my other daughter. I'd given my daughter away, which I swore I was never going to do. I had lost many, many careers. I was living in a one bedroom apartment with a roommate. We were being evicted from that one bedroom apartment. Unfortunately, he did not know we were being evicted. He was paying me his rent. Um, so that was a tough conversation. My credit score was negative. <laughs> My bank account was your checks. Right? If I needed money, huh, sorry, I needed some money. Um, I was a liar, a cheat, a thief, a manipulator. I was incapable of having a committed monogamous relationship. And I hid behind the word love and I'm sorry all my life. I love you, I'm sorry. I love you, I'm sorry. I love you, I'm sorry. I really mean it. I love you, I'm sorry. I love you, I'm sorry. And I meant it. 
thank God I, I hooked up with some people who just kind of told me the truth as core as it was. I said, selfish people don't love, they use. Selfish people don't love, they use. And I couldn't think of myself as being selfish. And I didn't think I was a user, but I was. Now, none of that feels any good. The other thing, the same guy who told me stuff like that would give me some really good inspirational stuff like Jim, these steps to freedom. How free do you want to be? Tell me in 1989, Jim, how free do you want to be? And how soon do you want to be free? There's the path to freedom. And I said, I want to be free. And he said, the, 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 the path to freedom starts with understanding what it is that takes away your freedom. That what it is that you suffer from, your tools for living, is alcohol and other things. We have a design for living that allows you to live free without that. Are you willing to start taking some action? And I said, sure, sure. Now, I didn't know what the action was. I didn't like some of the actions. I thought it was ridiculous. Like I told you, I'm a man. I'll, you know, let me just get the heat off and I'll figure it out. Get the heat off and I can figure it out. And they would tell me stuff like the brain that creates the problem doesn't have the capacity to create a solution to the problem that it created. You can't think your way into better living. You gotta act your way into better thinking. I mean, they were giving me all these tidbits that I were just like, man, that's the stupidest shit I ever heard. But it worked, right? It really worked. He'd ask me stuff like, are you willing to do anything for victory over alcohol? And I'm like, what does that even mean? If you're new, I wanna let you know. If you're here and somebody asks you that question, Right? Are you willing to go to any length for victory over? Just say yes. Otherwise, you're going to have to listen to him for 20 more minutes. <laughs> okay, I got you. Right? So he asked me, I lied, said, yeah. You want to take any direction I should give you without debate? I'm like, whoa. And he said, it won't be anything I haven't done, won't do next year, right? Or don't have experience with. And I said, sure. Then he asked me if I was willing to go to meetings till I was willing to go to meetings. And I said, sure, I can do that. And we started on this path. And he's the one who sat down and told me, he said, if you're an alcoholic, you're, you've admitted that you're, that you're an alcoholic, which basically means, right, and we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that my life has become unmanageable. You need to know something, Jim, you're going to drink again. And I'm going, well, that's great, Corey. That's really good information. I'm going to drink again. Now what? You need help. And there's that help thing again. And I'm like, I can't. I got to come to believe in a power greater than myself. And I read ahead. I read ahead of these steps. I mean, I saw the word God in there. And I, I saw amends. And I saw all that. And I'm like, oh, that's too much. <laughs> that's too much. I was raised Southern Baptist. I was baptized Protestant. I was baptized Christian. I was baptized Catholic. I've been dipped and rubbed by the best of them, right? And, uh, and God ain't done nothing for me, right? Yeah, I, I know that's probably not appropriate to say anymore with what's going on there. But anyway, uh, uh, 
but I, uh, I've always been a seeker. See, I've always been looking for something outside of me, right? And here's what I can tell you. My best experience I can tell you that is if you're anything like me, I have always compared the comfortability of my inside to the condition of my external. If the external is lined up kind of how I want it to be and looks like I think it should, I'm pretty comfortable. I didn't know that that was backwards. And I did it when I got to AA. I came here, man, and I've been sober a little while. I've done some steps. I'm doing stuff. And I'm looking across, and some guy comes in with like 60 days, and he's got a brand new car outside. I'm like, what the kind of shit is that? <laughs> I mean, his wife's letting him sleep in the big bed. He's getting all this stuff back. You know what I mean? I'm comparing. I'm still sober and alcoholics anonymous comparing your outside to what I feel like inside. And they kept saying, it's an inside job. It's an inside job. Well, can I get the outside straightened out first? Because when I get the outside straightened out first, it makes the inside job a little easier. <laughs> Lack of power is my dilemma. All they're saying is I got to believe that I can get help. That there's something bigger and more powerful than me. I could buy that. I could buy that. And it, it, you know, so now these things that felt like weapons are now tools. See, the weapon of knowing I'm going to drink again felt like a weapon, but now it's a tool. Believing a power greater in myself felt like a weapon of weakness. It's a tool of strength. I didn't know that. And then it says, I got to believe and then turn my will and my life over to this power. And I'm like, okay, turn my will and my life over to this power. Great. And he asked me this question. There's three birds sitting on a wire and one makes a decision to fly away. Because I knew what they meant. Made the decision to turn my will and my life over to God. Because I understand God. Well, the God I understand, I don't want nothing to do with. But he said, three birds are sitting on a wire. And one makes a decision to fly away. How many birds are left, Jim? And I went, two. He said, no, three. One made a decision. He hasn't done shit yet. He says, if you're there and you made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God, it's a decision. You ain't done nothing. There's nothing to be done there, Jim. That's how easy that step is. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I just made a decision. Having made that decision, what am I trying to do? There's stuff inside of me that's blocking me from tapping into the power, right? They call it four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They call it, that's what they call it. But that's the stuff that's blocking me from having some internal peace of mind. So I embarked on all of that and I did all of that and it wasn't comfortable and all that. But what started to happen for me is I had a, you know, I didn't make a physical list or whatever, but I would tell you if we were having conversations in my first year, two years, five years, 10 years, and up to 14, 15 years of sobriety, you would ask me a question. I'd say, oh, that shit's never going to happen. Right? Whether it was internal or whether it was external. It was never going to happen. And what started to happen is I, by, by doing this, by showing up, by stacking chairs, by making coffee, by cleaning up, by doing this, 
stupid stuff that I, I've got more things to do. I'm a little busy. I'm unemployed, but I'm busy, right? <laughs> I don't have a girlfriend, but it's a busy. You know what I mean? You, if you think like I think, you understand what I'm saying, right? <laughs> By doing that stuff, friend of mine says, by doing what I think is ridiculous, I get a chance to experience miraculous. See, I don't know what stacking a chair and setting up a meeting is going to do because I don't have any experience doing it. I go to the meeting. Thank you for doing all the work. See you later. I don't have any experience with it. There you a couple quick stories. I got five minutes left. A couple quick stories. I'm a couple years sober and I'm a Wednesday night meeting in my men's tag home group in, in Redondo Beach, right? I'm still a little arrogant. I still got this big ego, right? And I think I know how we can improve the meeting and do some things, you know what I mean? A couple people here know? Yeah. yeah. It's called control issue. Um, and, I know how to do all this other stuff. And, and I tell, I happen to tell Corey, right? That I think these are some really good ideas because you know what? They're really good ideas. We go to the Wednesday night meeting and they got elections. An election, he said, I'm sponsoring this guy, Jim. And you know what? I think he would be perfect, right? So I want to nominate Jim to be our new chairman, right? I think he'd be really good and bring a lot of good stuff to this meeting. And I'm like, mm, finally. <laughs> F yeah. Everybody in the room goes, okay, perfect. And I'm like, good. Can I have the secretary book? Can I have all that so I can go home and I can edit and all that? And Corey looked at me and goes, no, 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 stack the chairs. You're the chairman. Chairman stacks the chairs. <laughs> that shit's funny now. <laughs> I stacked chairs for a year. See, we're not like Orange County, right? Orange County, you do commitments for six months. Up there, it's a year. For every Wednesday night for a year, I had to stack the damn chairs. And I hated it for the first couple of weeks. But then what started happening is there were other people coming around. And I got to spend five or 10 minutes with you, and five or 10 minutes with you, and five or 10 minutes with you or you'd show up to the meeting because your wheels were falling off and I'd be able to be there for you, or my wheels were falling off and I go, I don't wanna go to the meeting, but I gotta go stack the damn chairs. See, because I didn't have any experience. So that's why when I was new, it was important for me to be, you know, <coughs> to grab somebody in front of me and grab somebody behind me, right? So we could have experiences together See, AA as a whole has been around for 85 years. You know why? Because people keep coming and having experiences with them. If you're not having experiences, I don't know what to tell you. I like to have new experiences. I want to have new experiences. And the only way that I've been able to do that and maintain that is by trying to take some actions that have absolutely nothing to do with the problem. And John talked about grace. Okay. Grace can reappear. I can't manufacture it. I don't know when it's going to show up, but here's what I do know. That when I get up in the morning, right, and I ask God who gave me breath, right, thank you for another day of breath. Please show me how you would like me to use it. And I have an intuitive thought in meditation that says, answer the phone, pick up the trash, 
go help somebody. I think those actions have allowed a window of grace to open for me for when I did get my daughter back, for when I did get to go see my children, for when I did get to bury my mother, for when I did get to get married, when I did get to do these things that happened in my life that were never going to happen. So what I try and do today and what you've allowed me to do, and thank you for allowing me to do it, is to take a little action to get out of me to try and help somebody else so we can keep the window pride open so grace can occur. God bless.